just going to uh, ask you to turn. I'm going to read anyway from a well-known passage from Luke chapter 2. I'm reading from verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank God for his word. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this familiar Christmas story. And yet, Lord, though it's familiar, may it never be something that we simply take for granted. Lord, help us to seek to understand, to grapple and come to terms with the, the great truths that stand at the heart of Christmas. Be with us now, Lord, we pray, and speak to each one of us according to our need. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure that by now most of us are in the midst of our preparations for Christmas and that for many of us all the usual things maybe are going on, you know, the children letting you know subtly and sometimes not so subtly what they would like for their Christmas. And thinking about this, I read the story this week of a little boy who repeatedly, and I mean repeatedly, let his parents know that he was hoping for a watch. Don't ask me why, but that's what he wanted. So his dad made that threat that so often parents make when they get to the end of their tether. If you ask for that one more time, you're definitely not going to get it. Well, that night, this little family gathered around the, the dinner table, and this was the night, apparently, for their weekly tradition of each one of them at the end of the meal sharing their favourite Bible verse. When it came to the little boy, he shared Mark 13, 37. I'll say to you what I've already said. Watch. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to imagine, you know, you've got to admire a guy who's got a bit of ingenuity. But we're preparing now. We are, and we, we all know that Christmas Day, when it comes, will be unlike any other day in the year. 
for everyone, just about, not everyone sadly, but just about everyone is off work. The shops are closed, the streets are deserted usually, family and friends get together and you know, there's all sorts of things, presents and special meals, etc, etc. It's a unique day for everybody just about. But I do sometimes wonder how many people there are who in the midst of all this, who perhaps only for a fleeting moment, but who take the time to ask that question that I mentioned last week. What is this all about? Why do we make such a fuss about Christmas, of all days, and about Jesus Christ, of all people? Now, there are those who tragically would perhaps be satisfied with the most superficial answer. It's just what we do. It's just tradition. But surely we can't be satisfied with that. Surely we have to ask, but what is behind all this? Why did people, why do people get so excited about this fact that a little Jewish boy, Jesus Christ, was born in Bethlehem 2,000 or so years ago? Now, as a Christian, I would want to say, and I believe that there is strong evidence there to be seen and that backs this up, that I believe this is because Jesus Christ wasn't just a baby. He was a baby, a fully human baby, but he was also more than a baby. He was God in the flesh. And that's the mind-blowing miracle that we celebrate at Christmas. That God, the God who made the earth, the sea, the sky, the infinite, all-powerful, the God of eternity, that this God, took on human flesh and was born in the dust and grime of a stable and then lived among sinful men and women and then finally gave himself on the cross as the sacrifice for our sin. Gave himself, gave his perfect sinless life to pay the penalty of our sin of our rejection of God, of our rejection of God and his ways, his will, of his authority over our lives. Yes, Jesus came and gave himself to deal with our sin, that sin that separates us right now from a perfect, holy, sinless God. Uh, and that unless we now, by faith, take hold of what Christ has done for us, that sin that will leave us separated from God and from all that is good, his love and everything else for all eternity. But there are those who maybe would want to step in here and say, well, you know, this is all a bit kind of theoretical. And it's the usual Christian kind of pie in the sky when you die kind of thing. You know, wait to heaven, that kind of stuff. Well, I've said this before and I'll say it again that that is a distortion of Christianity. Because while there is pie in the sky when we die for Christians, yet there is also steak on the plate while we wait. Because Christianity is a practical faith. It's a faith that doesn't just determine our eternal destiny, but also that has the power, the potential to transform our lives totally in the here and now and right now. And that's what I want to look at with you tonight. Just something of the difference that faith in Jesus Christ 
can make to our lives. Yes, so to begin, because Jesus came at Christmas, we can know first of all forgiveness for the past. Forgiveness for the past. Now here's a, a letter that apparently was printed in a newspaper that a little boy wrote to Santa. Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live at our house. There's Geoffrey, he is two. There's David, he is four. There's Norman, he is seven. Geoffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. Norman is good all of the time. I am Norman. The trouble is though, isn't it, that there are no Normans. None of us is good all of the time. And the real problem here, as we said earlier, isn't just that we fall below our standards, but rather that we fall below God's standard, his standard of, of perfect holiness that were originally created by him with the potential to achieve. And you see, it's this awareness that lies in there at the root of the guilt that blights so many people's lives. It's because we know deep within ourselves, deep in our hearts, we'd maybe refuse to acknowledge it, to actually face up to it, but we know that we're not what we should be, what we could be, that we're not right with God. And this sense of guilt drains us of joy, robs us of any real peace in life, and can at times lead us into dark depression. And we do all sorts of things to try to, to relieve this sense of guilt, just to try to deaden it in some way, to hide it away, to take it away. So people become workaholics, shopaholics, alcoholics, chocaholics, and we could go on. But all of these things, you see, at their very best, only deal with the symptoms of our guilt. They do only relieve that guilt to a degree and only for a period of time. Our sense of guilt, our emptiness within, it comes back. It comes back. And so we've got to go back. We've got to do more, get more, to try and deaden it down once more. These things do only deal with the symptoms of guilt. They are not a solution. The only true solution to guilt is forgiveness. And the only one who can offer us true forgiveness is the God who, as we said, came to this earth in Jesus and died on the cross to pay the penalty of that sin that leads to guilt. That's the real gift of Christmas. That God, through Christ, wants to share his forgiveness with each one of us here. He wants to lift the burden of guilt off your shoulders. And here's some good news about this guilt. It's instant and it's undeserved. You don't have to, to wait. You don't have to work away until you're good enough, until you achieve the right standard to be worthy of this gift. You don't, because that's the whole point. You aren't good enough. That's what it's all about. You never can be good enough. 
What's required of you, all that's required of you, is that you see Jesus Christ for who he is, your Savior, your Lord, your King. And that you respond to what he's done for you, what he's given for you, with love and with faith. Simply to say, Jesus, I put my trust in what you've done on my behalf. And my heart is filled with gratitude and love towards you. But not only is God's gift of forgiveness in Christ instant and undeserved, it's also complete and it's ongoing. It's complete in in that as we lay claim to what God has done for us in Christ, then all our sin, all of it, all we've ever said or done or thought that's caused us guilt is dealt with by the sacrifice of Christ. Jeremiah, in a a prophecy to look forward to what the Lord would do in Jesus, he shared in Jeremiah 31, 34, these wonderful words from the Lord. Wonderful promise. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. Now when it says that, that God will remember our sins no more, that, that cannot mean, it cannot, that they're in some way blotted out of his memory. It can't be that, it can't mean that, because God is all-knowing. There is nothing that he does not know, nothing that he does not, in one sense, remember. No. What this means is forgetting, in the sense that God will no longer hold us to account for this. And you find a, a reflection of what this aspect of God's character should then mean in our lives in 1 Corinthians 13, in Paul's great account of Christian love, the love of Christ reflected in our lives. For there, as he outlines all the characteristics that should be seen in a human life that's filled with the love of Jesus Christ, he includes in verse 5 that this love bears no record of wrongs. No record. You see, it's as if There's a big long record of each of our lives and all the different things that we've said and we've thought and we've done that even now as we think of them maybe causes just a wee bit flush with embarrassment. It's as if all these things are itemized in one big long bill, one thing after another. But right across it, written in red, are the words paid for by Christ. Jesus has paid it all. And I know that some of us sometimes have difficulty in accepting this. We're maybe Christians, but there's still something, maybe even things in our life that as we reflect back that seem to us so bad, so terrible, that it's hard to believe that even God can really forgive and forget what we've done. I want to say to you, please, my friends, don't overestimate your importance. There is nothing that you in your little life can ever do that could ever even begin to outweigh the wonderful sacrifice of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But not only is God's gift of forgiveness in Christ instant and undeserved, not only is it complete, it is also ongoing. In that even once we become Christians, And we love the Lord and we want to live for him. But still, despite that, because we're human, still, we're going to at times fall below God's standards. 
We're still going to fail. We're still going to sin. These things, let me say, should play significantly less a part in our lives once we've trusted in Jesus. But as long as we are in this physical body, standing on this earth, these things are going to be there in our life. They're going to happen. But you see, as long as we truly love the Lord in our hearts, as long as we are ready, whenever we go wrong, to confess that sin, to admit it, to grieve over it, as long as we're ready to repent of it, to turn away from it, to again serve the Lord, then the Lord is ready to keep on forgiving and to keep on forgetting. 1 John 1 verse 9, I think, sums up God's promise wonderfully. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So again we say, because Jesus came at Christmas, we can know forgiveness for the past, forgiveness that goes on and on. But because Jesus came at Christmas, we can also know power in the present. Have you ever noticed, just incidentally, how everything today is, is turbocharged? I remember the first time I saw a turbocharged vacuum cleaner. It kind of scared me a wee bit. I had sort of visions of houseflies flying around uncontrollably at 100 mile an hour plus around their house. It's a scary sight. It scared the life out of you. But you know, it's true, isn't it? Have you ever noticed how many things today are about in one way or another trying to sell themselves, suggesting that they can put extra power into your life? You know, there's power dressing. Power diets, power showers. We could go on. And it it seems to suggest, I think at least, that people today, perhaps more than any other time in our history, faced as we are with a fast-changing, highly technological, multicultural society, that people often seem to feel that they're on the edge of being overwhelmed. All the change that's around us, all the things that are happening, the different world we're living in increasingly, that they don't have the resources to deal with this. Well, here's some more good news for you this Christmas. The Jesus who came at Christmas 2,000 years ago, he is able, he can give you the power, the resources that will enable you to overcome all the challenges that come your way in life. For Jesus said in John 14, that after he'd finished his walk, after he'd been crucified and risen and returned, ascended to the Father, having defeated death and sin and all the powers of evil, he said that he would send another counselor to be with his people. That is that, that God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, would come into the hearts and lives of the people of God and he would give them all the power and resources that they needed to live for Jesus and to do the work of Jesus. Now, of course, at Pentecost, as you can read in Acts chapter 2, this is precisely what happened. The power of the Spirit came upon the church, and we stand as inheritors of that. 
And in Philippians 4, 13, Paul shares with us out of his experience something of what this, this means or should mean practically in life. Because he says there, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now obviously, and this certainly is what, what I believe, obviously this doesn't mean that we're going to be able to jump off skyscrapers and float gently to the ground. And I advise nobody to try that tonight. No, rather, when Paul says everything here, I believe what this means is everything that God calls me to. Every challenge that life brings my way, every challenge as I'm living close to God, he is able and will give me the power and resources I need to rise to that challenge, to overcome in that challenge. So because Jesus Christ came at Christmas, we can know forgiveness for the past and power in the present. And finally, we can also know hope for the future. You know, there are some of us, aren't there, have a bit of a, a problem with timekeeping. Isn't that true? I'm not going to mention any names because I already did it this morning, but that's the way it is. There are always people who find it difficult to get to the place they're supposed to be at the time they're supposed to be there. And so it's sometimes said, they will be late for their own funeral. Let me just give you some assurance here. They won't be. They won't. None of us will be. That's one appointment that all of us will make 100% bang on time. Now, there's maybe times in life when that can be almost hard to believe. Times in our life, especially when we're younger, when we can feel almost immortal. We find it impossible to, to, to believe. We, we can maybe accept the theory of death, but we'll get trouble really getting to grips with the fact, with the reality, that this applies to me, that it's going to happen to me. And I came across a while ago a little poem that I think captures something as this, and this is it. When I was a child, I laughed and wept. Time crept. When I was a youth, I dreamt and talked. Time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still, I daily grew. Time flew. Soon shall I find in travelling on time gone and face eternity begun time done you know talk of this kind might well make you feel uncomfortable it might well do that because since as a nation we've turned our back on God well more and more death in our society has become the great taboo it's become the subject that no one mentions in polite company it used to be sex, but that's long gone. Now it's death that people don't want to talk about. They want to, to try and ignore it. They, you know, and that's why you know, they, they push people out of the way at the hospitals, wherever they can, because they want to somehow try and maintain the fiction that it doesn't really happen. People try to live like that, to ignore that reality. Because, you see, 
We don't know God as a nation. We've turned our back on God. And so what lies beyond the grave is for many today the great unknown. And it frightens them. They're frightened of it. I want to say, you don't have to be afraid of death if you're a Christian. For Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that the Jesus Christ, the one who rose from the dead, that this Jesus is the one who has defeated death. That he has broken the power of sin and death and hell. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 54. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, People today fear death because for so many, it's a journey into the unknown. It's full of uncertainties. But it's not that in Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to be that for you. Let me share with you some certainties that Jesus brings. First, that there is a God. That's for many the root problem that, that we have, we've bought into the popular myth peddled by the media that science has disproved God and that because of that, death is a journey into some kind of scary nothingness. Now, I've talked about this before, but I haven't got time to go into it tonight. But, but let me assure you, that if you really look at the evidence, then the evidence pointing to the existence of God, I believe, is far more convincing than anything to the contrary. Second certainty that's ours in Christ is that this God who made the heavens and the earth loves you. Each one of you. He loves us so much that he died for us. We've already covered this and, and that's the heart of the Christian message that God loves you that much. Third, that heaven for the Christian is not the end of life it is its fulfillment. For Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. Well, you see, life in its ultimate fullness will actually only be known in heaven. Because there at last we will truly know God as he wants to be known. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 verse 12 Paul says, now we see but a poor reflection, at the very best, as in a mirror. Then we shall see, face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so there we will know love in full, joy in full, peace in full could go on. Just read the, the latter chapters of Revelation. You'll soon catch the, the flavor of this, that heaven will be, life with God will be the most wonderful thing imaginable. For instance, the best things in human life and culture are going to be brought into heaven. Revelation 21, 26 talks of the fact that the glory and honor, all the best things, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into heaven. These things will be brought in. But there will be no more sin. And so no more sickness, no more suffering, no more sadness, no more pain, no more death in heaven. Revelation 21, 24 says it. 
There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Let me say it to you again. These are the gifts of Christmas that are all wrapped up in that greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus. Because Jesus Christ came that first Christmas. You can know forgiveness for the past, power in the present, hope for the future. You know, we often find it difficult to to get the, the right gift for somebody, don't we? We find that hard. And particularly that can be so for a man wanting to buy something for a special lady in his life. I actually got some helpful advice from this a little while ago on, on Breakfast TV where a lady emailed in to say that she always tells her husband, as long as it's got a hallmark on it, you're okay. Well, Jesus is God's perfect gift to us all. A personal gift because it comes in the person of Jesus. A practical gift and that is exactly what you need taking care of your past, present and future. And a precious gift because it costs Christ everything. You see the gift that God offers you this Christmas in Christ is stamped with a hallmark and the hallmark reads precious beyond compare. So what are you going to do with this gift? I read recently about a man who got a Christmas gift nearly 50 years ago now somewhere in Canada from his girlfriend and he fell out with that night so he didn't open it for 48 years and then she had to come and open it for him kind of bizarre but made them happy but sometimes we also we find little children don't we who are more interested in the wrapping paper or, or the big box that their gift is coming than they are in the actual gift itself and we laugh, don't we? We laugh at it because that's the kind of thing a child does. And we know they're going to grow out of it. But listen, if somebody kept on doing that for years and years, for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we'd get concerned about that person, wouldn't we? We'd be worried. I want to say to you, don't do this with Jesus. I would ask you, open up the most precious gift of all this Christmas, the gift of Jesus. Don't ignore him. Don't get caught up in all the trappings and wrappings of Christmas. Enjoy all these things that we do. Enjoy them. But don't leave your Christmas at this. Don't ignore Jesus, the reason for Christmas. Now open up your gift. Examine it. Test it. See if he is who he said he is. See if he really can be trusted and then I pray that by faith you'll take hold of God's wonderful gift of Jesus Christ so that God can begin to bring into your life all the wonderful things he so longs to let's come and pray together Father we just want to thank you that you've given us everything in Jesus that you've held nothing back that all the good things that we need in life are given to us in Jesus. Lord, help us tonight to believe. Help us tonight by faith to take hold of and help us tonight by faith to live in the reality of what is ours in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.